This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You sound insane. Do you realize that? Oh, yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. We are talking Kubrick this week. Or today, actually, not yeah. this whole week. <laughs> we could. Uh, we'll I see. wish. I wish we had a Kubrick week where every day we just meet, <laughs> just geek out over the many fine stylings of Stanley Kubrick. But, but we're already pretty booked up with our Letier week, so it's right. hard to do both. <laughs> Letier week is actually a month. We couldn't <laughs> right. just. Yeah. You, there's no way you can do we it. Could all, he had to spend at yeah. least three and a half weeks on Now You See Me Too. I just wish that uh, I wish that Kubrick had been alive to see Letier come to uh, mm-hmm. come to power. So that maybe he could <laughs> to power. He could learn a thing or two from Letier. Yeah, know? it would be cool to see what he could do with the influence of a Letier. Right. Yeah, that's spinning <laughs> camera. I mean, right, taking the influence <laughs> of Letier and yeah. then making that what what it was. Yeah, was his own. You know, I putting mean, his own spin on Doctor Strange is, is a pretty decent movie, but. <laughs> Uh, there's not one point where the camera spins, and I, you know that's it's lacking. To be it's, honest, and you can't really. blame him for it because he just, yeah he just didn't know he just didn't know he it's, wasn't aware that right. was possible. The technology wasn't there yet. Sometimes a filmmaker has to come along and they <laughs> right. cha- it changes everything. Right, and Letier yeah. was one of those mm-hmm. yeah. guys. Um, so thirty years since the debut of Full Metal Jacket, nineteen mm-hmm. June seventeenth, nineteen eighty seven. When it was first released, and I always feel like this was earlier than that. Same. But uh, 30 years exactly since then, so hence uh, why we're talking about this this evening. And have we talked about Kubrick, like any of his movies? I think so. We talked about doing The Shining, we talked The Shining a little in some of our other uh, episodes, but we have not done a full Kubrick episode. That's crazy. Kubrick. 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 I did a movie. Kent and I did an Eyes Wide Shut episode, but it's lost too. <laughs> right. You got deleted. Yeah, the censors of podcasts were like, yeah. nope. How did, how did it possibly get deleted? <laughs> um, so We broke a few Couldn't laws. hear anything through the masks. But <laughs> <laughs> it was just really muffled. It was muffled. just the whole time. <laughs> Kent, I thought it was pretty good, right? It was good. <laughs> well, my mask was screen accurate. I'll have you know. <laughs> Kent's kept hitting the mic it's <laughs> the nose so other than 30 years what what kind of spars our interest in full metal jacket um it's it's definitely not one of kubrick's most famous movies i guess i would say 2001 and the shining are definitely uh, yeah and even dr strange love yeah. are more probably discussed more often than mm-hmm. this one but nonetheless i would say that the conversation is still worthy mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. it's kind of the production of the movie and and what uh kubrick aimed to do with it is always a good conversation but what's your relationship richard with this one yeah i didn't see this till pretty late in life relatively i think i was probably about 21 22 before i saw this um it's it's, it's a pretty incredible movie um uh, with a lot of lore behind it and all that 
Uh, but it's kind of, we were talking a few, when we did that Wayne's World episode forever ago, Brian said, when you rewatch it, you kind of forget how many things from Wayne's World kind of penetrated the culture and were, yeah, yeah, um, uh, kind of ripped from. This is that kind of for me, too. I was like, oh, yeah, this is where that kind of shot came from and this kind of performance. The whole Arlie Ermy mm-hmm. archetype is from this, which has been repeated a million times, including by him a million times. Right. So, uh, there's quite a bit of uh, originality to this, as with most most things Kubrick. And uh, no, it's a movie I really respect, but it's a movie I've probably only seen twice before doing this. Really? Yeah. Ever? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this when we watched it this last time, uh, when I watched it this week to get ready for this, it was I think probably the third time I'd seen it. What about you, Brian? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. It's uh, I've seen pieces of it plenty of times, but this is probably... I would say this is the second time that I've watched it from start to finish. So I win, basically. Yeah, in its entirety? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, for me, uh, I own the movie. I'm a big fan of all of Kubrick's work. I think the last time we actually talked about him was in our Top 10 Movies episode, and I had 2001 in that mm-hmm. list. Yeah. Uh, we talked about that a little bit, but I put this up there, man. People talk about war movies a lot. They talk about Vietnam movies a lot, but this is never really mentioned as one of the best or Mm -hmm. even in the conversation as one of the best war movies of all time. Mm -hmm. I think this one is probably maybe the most realistic in a lot of ways, more than some of the others. Like I was watching this last night to refresh myself and I had recently bought the Blu-ray to it uh, maybe last year or something. And I had had a DVD copy before that that was in that weird like widescreen format, but made for a full screen TV, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> which Gosh. is really, if you try to put stuff, that on yeah, a like w- widescreen TV, it just like crunches it down to about an inch and a half in the, <laughs> right. of the screen. Yeah. The, yeah. So there's no way to like watch it without a, a widescreen TV. So or magnifying glass. Right. So I invested in the, the Blu-ray, which I suggest any, anyone do. If yeah. you're watching Kubrick stuff, we've got stuff. it streaming here and it looks great. It's, um, this is actually the Blu-ray here. Yeah, the the hard copy of it. But I mean, all these restorations of most of his movies are are worth worth seeking out if you've only been exposed to his stuff like on TV or on a right. VHS copy or stuff because they really do hold up really well and they restore great. So this is one that I picked up and um, I don't think there's any better maybe war army type stuff than the first thirty minutes of Full Metal Jacket where it's just Arlie Ermy going to town <laughs> and, and ham on these guys for 30 minutes. You know, um, I don't think anyone talks in the movie except right, for him yeah. for the first 30 minutes. Yeah. That's not sir. Yes, sir. Or sir, something else, sir. You know, um, I feel like this is the most realistic in terms of what you actually have to go through. If you're being put in the Marine Corps. Mm. Uh, I remember hearing that, Arlie Army was just hired as a consultant yeah. because he was yeah. a retired guy. And the guy that's actually was going to be the real sergeant ended up being the guy in here that is kind of picking off the guys in the helicopter when they're flying through Vietnam. Oh, uh, okay. The okay. guy's like picking off random citizens. Like, yeah. if they're Viet Cong, then they're going to die. You know, I don't care if they're, if, if they're of their race that they're with him or whatever. So he was going to be the original drill sergeant. Okay. And um, I can see that. They said that Arlie Ermey just came on set or basically went to Kubrick and, and said, I want this role. Like, yeah. This is me. And he was like, no, you're not an actor, you know. And they started filming him doing these scenes, actually, what we're watching, where they're all running around and doing chants and everything. 
And all the stuff Arlie Ermey is saying in these is all improvised yeah. stuff. And then it was such gold every time the, you know, the line about Eskimo women or whatever. <laughs> right. It's all such, so random and such gold that they just kind of set action yeah. and told him like, all right, you're going to get onto these three guys, do it however you want. And yeah. They let the camera roll and he just, he, he goes, goes to town. It's almost in a way that could not be scripted. Yeah. You know? yeah. There's a urban legend that he essentially walked into Kubrick's office and said, I want this role. And, and Kubrick said, no, you're not an actor. Mm-hmm. And he started barking at Kubrick orders and he kind of instinctively followed the orders. And on that point was like, okay, you're in. Cause it was, he just said, stand at attention and started screaming at him. And Kubrick did it without even thinking about it. And then was like, okay, maybe this is a, this is effective. This is what we want from, from the movie. I love the opening shot and it goes from just, it says, I think a Stanley Kubrick film. And then it goes immediately yeah. to the guys getting their heads shaved, all the different soldiers. Yeah. There's not a lot of preamble. No, there's none. There's none at all. <laughs> like, compared to the shining where yeah. it's that one like helicopter shot for 20 minutes right. you know, of them driving out yeah. to the overlook. Yeah. Or 14 hours of preamble in 2000, in 2001. Right. Where it's, yeah, it is 30 minutes of just the intro. This one it gets right into it, but that's such a good way for him to show, you know, them stripping all of these soldiers of any mm-hmm. identity, mm-hmm. anything that made them personalities yeah. like a hair hairdo would have done. And they're just people at that yeah. point. They're, they're, they're just soldiers. Yeah. yeah. He changes their names immediately. And I love the scene right after that, where he's giving all the guys nicknames, you know, snowball and yep. Gomer pile and Joker and all that. Yeah. Um, again, yeah. It's just stripping them of any, identifier or anything that made them unique in any way. And I believe that to be true that they really, especially in Vietnam, they really train these guys to be weapons of war. Yeah. Forget about any emotion that you might have in your life at all ever that could hinder you from killing one or a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to be to, in order to be, at least that's the, the belief of the, you know the core or <laughs> at least at this time is to be part of the whole you you have to be uh, completely stripped of your end, your identity and your who you are because you've got to only be focused on being this you know this this cog in the machine essentially yeah richard any thoughts no i mean this this is the kind of thing that uh this whole notion of uh, ultimate commitment to to uh the military ideal is what terrified me of anything militaristic when yeah. I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Now I have like a real fascination with it, but it's these kind of things in the zeitgeist that were just terrifying to me, mm-hmm. both from an ego and uh just general fear perspective. Yeah. 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 And uh the fact that they're so attached to their weapon here, mm-hmm. like the sequence where uh he's making them all sleep with their guns yeah. and be like readily available in the way how robotic it all is. Mm-hmm. It's kind of... Uh, it's almost a dance. Yeah, Kubrick's really great at that kind of choreography. I don't know how... I mean, I wonder what the research was like for this. I wonder how accurate a lot of this was, like in terms of... In terms of, do they actually do these... I know they do this kinds of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I know they have drill sergeants and they train people hard, but in terms of the actual drills that they do and the actual yeah. kind of techniques I, that they use, I would think that they wouldn't allow any of that to be in a movie like this is all has to be fake because right. You can't really give the, you're giving the enemy a hint at that point. If you're showing us how we actually train our, yeah. our people. I mean, this is based on a book from a former Marine who was in Vietnam and whatnot. And 
everything that I read, this is kind of like an extreme dose of what actually happens. It's like maybe 75% factual or fact-based and then just amped up a notch. But the gun stuff, especially from everything that I've seen and, and heard is at least for the time period is very accurate for what they did. You know, it's a, it's a major commitment to your gun and um, pushing that narrative so that basically saying you are useless without your, your mm-hmm. weapon and, you know, the, the weapon is part of your body is an extension of your body. Yeah. I have it written down here. The uh, chant is my rifle is my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm nothing without my rifle. And, um, Basically, I guess you you kind of have to you kind of have to rely on that in war, right. and that's what makes something like Hacksaw Ridge so incredible. Yeah, somebody can say no to that. I'm not going to shoot anything and still survive a war mm-hmm. is uh, is pretty staggering. But giving the nickname stuff is funny, of course. The uh, steers and everything <laughs> is funny. Um, I mean, I don't know how he come, came up with a lot of this stuff. I mean, it must have been stuff he had actually heard in the service, yeah. his drill sergeant said. But, I mean, he is the quintessential. It's just stream of consciousness, yeah. which is amazing. It's amazing that, I mean, it's kind of an awful skill to have in a way, but it's amazing yeah. that you could come up with 30 straight minutes of just screaming horrible things at people just out of nowhere and just i mean it's a it's an incredible improvisational gift that uh is kind of weird to uh to possess that strength i guess i think my favorite uh line he says i think he says to pile he says you're so ugly you could be a modern art masterpiece yeah <laughs> i love that line yeah. um the pile character too um vincent ofrio um what crazy it's incredibly disturbing incredibly disturbing <laughs> yeah. and um there's always one in every group, right? Mm. They spend a ton of time showing him going through the obstacle course and failing at everything, and then he it's, fails a certain amount of times. I think it's where his footlocker is open when he's yeah. comes to inspection, and then the drill sergeant uh, just dumps everything out everywhere, yeah. and then makes everybody jelly donut. Yeah. makes everybody yeah the jelly donut and makes everybody pay for it, and then they just beat him mercilessly with like socks mm-hmm. with soap yeah. in them, code redded him, yeah. and. um you got to think, I guess, spoiler alert. Yeah, 30 year old. 30 year olds. So gonna we're going to spoil this. Spoils, yeah. I think when it's, it's all part of stream of consciousness with uh, the drill sergeant and sitting them all down and saying, who knows who uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was, right? Yeah. Who knows who Charles Whitman was, right? And saying that these men, the only reason he was able to kill JFK is because of the training <laughs> yeah. that he's received. Right. Yeah. It's kind of a perverse time. way to <laughs> like, basically if I, if I wouldn't be, wasn't around JFK would still be around. Yeah. Like, you know, like <laughs> that yeah. they, they've reached the levels of, uh, accuracy so high that they, um, mix with what they've experienced in war that it only can lead to one thing. Right. Yeah. And so you see the pile character, like hear that, and like that, maybe that's what triggers him to get the idea or seeds the idea in his yeah. head that like that could happen. Yeah. But all that to say, if that didn't occur, would that have ever happened? Would have he ever snapped? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird, this is a disturbing movie, man. Like this is, like I said, this is probably the second time I've watched it all the way through. And I'm was kind of reminded very quickly was reminded of like, man, I, this is a very well-made movie and it bothers me. Like it's hard to, 
I, I've always had a hard time getting into this one no, in, same. Any, it's, in any way. Uh, especially like the first act once. Yeah. You know, the, the big yeah. Does all, all the stuff with the Navi. I mean, he, this made his career. Like he's still, not that he hasn't done plenty of other uh, great performances or interesting performances since, but this is still kind of the thing that he can hang his hat on because it is, he's so good in this and it is horrifying to watch at the same time. Yeah. What it, oh. Oh, we're watching it right now, and he's this is the obstacle course scene where he's like, Either you get around it or yeah. you get down right now or get off my obstacle. Um, so the Kubrick stare is something that we see in a lot of his movies, maybe uh-huh. every single movie. Yep, that kind of possessed look that uh, obviously Pyle has in this, but. It goes back to Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. and of course, The Shining, and when Nicholson yeah. kind of gets possessed, he gets that look where he's just maniacally staring at the camera, and you don't know what he's thinking, what he's going to do, but something bad is going to happen. You know, some kind of force has taken him over. Mm-hmm. I think that's that. Maybe it's like the the Spielberg face, you know, where the yeah. camera comes into somebody's face and they're looking off in wonderment. At, you know, that's like the first camera test that Spielberg does with all his actors. Oh, like, wow. If I can do that one shot of you, <laughs> sure. You know, yeah. if it works there, then you're the person I'm looking for. You know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I bet when Vincent Ofrio came in and did that here, like, yeah, yeah you're the one. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> Can't really do anything else there, man. Yeah. yeah. I think he actually came in for a different role or something, or he was friends with somebody that was in the movie. D'Onofrio was. I think it was Matthew Modine that he was yeah. friends with. It's a, the way this movie got cast was interesting. Val Kilmer was supposed to play Joker, uh, wow. and at some point lost the role and then accused Matthew Modine of stealing the role. At which point Matthew Modine then said, Oh, well I should go out for that role. Cause he had not heard of it. up to uh, that point. Uh, and then I think Modine was friends with D'Onofrio too, and that led to his coming in on the, on okay. the, the auditions. But D'Onofrio gained like 70 pounds. Always does. For the role. <laughs> yeah. Um, Always which, gains or loses. Right. Which at the time was like the, I think was the most anyone had ever gained for a role in, in a movie. It's got to be fun to gain weight, weight for a role. Yeah. Not that much fun to, t- to take it back off no. later. Yeah. I wouldn't think so. Matthew Modine is good in this too, and he was a nobody. When, yeah, yeah, yeah. When this was um when this was cast. Right. Late eighties, early nineties, he was kind of the guy yeah, everybody yeah. expected to be the next I don't know, Kilmer or, or Tom Cruise or something, and it never never quite uh came to fruition. But uh this was a great starting point for him. I agree. Um so the Kubrick stare, once we get that from Pyle we know something. First of all, you kind of know something's up with him. Yeah. You if you're I mean, berated that hard, like how can any human deal yeah. with that? Well, and especially someone who's clearly not all there mentally. I mean, uh-huh. I mean, that, that's easy yeah, to say. They kind of hinted that. Yeah, they hint at Kubrick. He, he hints at it really well because it's very clear this guy is intellectually disabled. It's yeah. not just that he's um, lazy or stupid or, or physically impaired. It's it's there's a mental issue there. Um, that is for me with that, that adds to the Tragic. element of just like, gosh, I just, I'm having a hard time watching this movie. Yeah. It's amazing that he even made the movie that Kubrick even made it because of what, an apocalypse, like he was thinking about doing this and then apocalypse now came out and was like, 
the Vietnam movie. Right. You know, like how could you ever expect to top that? Mm-hmm. You know, and it, he loved Apocalypse Now. Yeah, in some ways, to me, it's funny or it's interesting that this is this was made in 1987 because it seems I know it's the Vietnam era and all that, and so it's it's a, essentially a period piece, but. It has such seventies sensibilities yeah. that you it really fits more with I don't know, like the Deer Hunter and Apocalypse Now and, and stuff like that than it does with contemporary movies Back of nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's it's crazy. Hardly um, any Chuck Berry in this <laughs> RIP. RIP. Hey ma'am fam question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron. BlueApron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Maybe my biggest issue, not my biggest issue, but something that I just can't get over is the fact that it really is like two movies. Yes. No. I mean, there's no interconnection. There's almost. no, <laughs> there's no transition. Yeah. It go, it, this movie seriously goes from, uh, pile going nuts mm-hmm. and that's an intense scene whenever oh, he yeah. goes in the bathroom and he has the gun and uh i guess modine's on night watch or whatever he calls it and is trying to talk him down and everything and then with no context here comes the drill sergeant like what in the sam hell are you doing and he has no idea and then he says it's my instruction to tell you that he's got a loaded gun and yep. then he still doesn't back down. He's like, you put that thing down right now. You know, and just doesn't think he has the guts to ever go through with anything right. or do anything. But he goes from that. He goes from Pyle killing the drill sergeant to then shooting himself in the head immediately yeah. to these boots were made for walking with a Vietnamese prostitute. Right. Like within two seconds right. after. Th- it's just like, whoa. Yeah. I mean, there's no, like, 
establishing shot like okay i'm gonna show at least a helicopter right. flying somewhere yeah. and then that yeah. it's just like right in just your straight into and it. i don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing but every time i watch I the movie cool. i'm like okay now i'm in a totally different movie you know it's almost yeah. it almost makes you wonder if arlie ermy was so good and the stuff that maybe they only expected to get 10 minutes or 15 minutes of stuff of them based training, but it was also gold. Yeah. And he's like, man, I'm just going to stretch this out as far as it can go. Right. And you know, it's interesting. Nobody's going to complain about it. Yeah. What's interesting is this was shot in reverse. So all the really? stuff that happens in Vietnam, they shot first. Oh really? Then, I didn't know that either. Then they came and shot, uh, the, uh, the, the boot camp stuff, camp stuff afterwards. Okay. That makes a little sense as to why it's so different because uh-huh. uh, they probably shot the other side without really the plan of Ermi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's part of what, that's part of what made Kubrick such a great filmmaker. And also uh, personally, why I don't really, I don't enjoy watching most of his movies is because he was so interested in the psychology right. of not just his actors, but the audience as well. Yeah. And like so, so much of what he does in this movie and in, every movie shining for at least from clockwork orange on is just sometimes you wonder like how much of this was done because it fit the story and it was the story he wanted to tell and how much of it was, I just want to screw with people's heads. Well, there's the rumor that, I mean, there's a kind of urban legend. I don't know if it's apocryphal or not that he became late in life, really obsessed. He met Nicole Kidman and became really obsessed with her, like fraudulent, what he deemed fraudulent marriage to Tom Cruise and the Hollywood notion of these fake, you know, marriages. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, uh, again, from his point of view, I'm not saying their marriage is fake. And so he, uh, they say that he wrote and developed eyes wide shut and made the process of filming. it so arduous that it would break them up. Right. Yeah. The whole the, point the of whole, eyes wide shut was to kill their marriage. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Just like he wanted to do yeah. that. It did. Yeah. It, yeah. It, no, it worked. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was something. No, maybe it's Katie Holmes. I thought it was something <laughs> like, was, yeah, like I was something like, I thought they broke up because Tom Cruise wanted their kids to be shipped off to like Scientology center for like without any, either of the parents being there. Yeah, like, there's no, we're not weird, sending our kid yeah. to a Scientology. Yeah. Sea Org University. Yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's surprising, actually. Another fun fact about the filming of this is shot entirely in West London. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Kubrick yeah. was notorious for like, I'm not leaving. I'll no. do any movie, but as long as I can shoot it here, I'm doing it. Yeah. And they shot the Vietnam scenes. I think there was like a there was an area of town that had been basically hadn't been touched since World War Two. Wow. Or or since Vietnam era. And it was a rundown, you know, part of the town. It had some buildings that were kind of desolate, you know. And so they could just go right in there. I think they, you know, blew one of the buildings up to where it was like tilted on its side or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. And that's all the set decoration they had to do to create like this post apocalyptic, you know, war scene essentially and they just put some palm trees around to give it that vietnam mm-hmm. feel yeah and it ends up working beautifully there so that's actually that's another little fun yeah piece of insight uh, on the making of this but man he's it all it is you can make a movie on him making every single movie yes. you know like his process yeah is sometimes more interesting yeah, than i'm 100 percent more interested in that than i am most of most of his movies to be honest yeah he actually has a movie that never was made of Napoleon Yeah, that he tried to get made his whole career. And he had spent, I don't know, he had re- read like over a thousand books about Napoleon or <laughs> something. And he had the most detailed, he basically 
had researched so much that he had every single day of Napoleon's life, Could he like, had documented out. He knew what he was doing and where he was wow. every single day to where he was going to make what he said was going to be the greatest movie of all time out of Napoleon's. I think he wanted Bill Murray to play Napoleon. I mean, some, somebody, yeah. <laughs> somebody weird that he wanted to, I'm going to look that up. Um, but apparently they have the screenplay or something and Spielberg's going to make it into an HBO series or something like okay. that. Like he's in the same way he did with AI, he's going to take what mm-hmm. he thought Kubrick would have wanted Is because that, they had a relationship. Isn't it funny, Brian, that you so are oddly, um, no, it was going to be Jack Nicholson was going to be uh, okay. Napoleon. Okay. You're adverse. He got too famous. That's what he said. You're adverse to the Kubrick sensibility, but your ultimate guy, mm-hmm. Spielberg, yeah. like not only is he his biggest fan, but like finishes AI right. and all learned from. Yeah. Yeah. It's his mentor. It's weird. Yeah. I've heard that Kubrick, I mean, was a kind of a, a weird guy, but then a lot of people had really warm experiences mm-hmm. with him too. Yeah. He kind of could go into both modes. He wasn't like yeah. completely, uh, no, I just think, I think he was super interested in how the human brain worked yeah. and as much as he was in making great film. And there's no denying how good all of his movies are. Um, Eyes Wide Shut accepted, perhaps, but, uh, but they're I not. I think Eyes Wide Shut is a good movie. Ugh, they don't appeal to me at all. I don't think he has a bad movie. They're just all No, I don't different. think so either. I think Eyes Wide Shut is probably as close to a bad movie as he has made, but I don't. You know, I personally, I, Spartacus and Paths of Glory is, are the two, and and then um, Doctor Strangelove are, are the the ones that I would be uh, most likely to yeah. revisit on I love my Dr. own. I don't have any interest in watching Clockwork Orange again. Shining creeps me out tremendously. Um, <laughs> I gotta watch some, at some point like we'll do day. that. I'm not kidding. Gosh, it's very Shining. good, but it it super creeps me out. And when you know how much, like absolute hell he was putting her through i just it, it's hard for me to to sit through anymore she was pretty piveny though oh she totally but still but he to- i mean Duval. he literally tortured Duval. her on set and it's just kind of hard to for me to reconcile one of the lo- things i love about the shining is that they never told the kid that it was a horror movie that he was making yeah. so it makes it that much creepier the mm. way he's acting <laughs> um so it's carrie uh fukunaga and Steven oh, Spielberg, okay. who are doing the Napoleon Ooh, That's series. the guy from True Detective. Yes. Yeah. So it was announced season officially. One. Yeah, not the season good True Detective. Yeah, the good True Detective. It was announced officially last May. Okay. And that should be coming out yeah, in the that next awesome. couple of years. So apparently he was, Kubrick was going to make, he was going to use actual armies from Romania. It was 30,000 Romanian <laughs> army like people. And I think that's why he gave it up is because like they didn't have the budget for the costuming because he really wanted to like Gosh. create the real actual battles from uh yeah. from that time, which would have been crazy. But okay, so this comes into two movies. How do you guys feel about the second kind of ancillary movie, the actual Vietnam stuff? I, I, yeah, it's does it hold up? I mean heroine. I think the Apocalypse Now stuff is better, but I, I think without the first thirty minutes, the first act this movie is not even in the conversation as far as great war movies. I Agreed. think that stuff is just so, it's so like it is. I mean, you go back and you look at, again, Hacksaw Ridge and that whole, they had the drill sergeant stuff in there, but it's, it doesn't hit like this does where it's like, man, I would never want to do that, be that. And while I admire the people that did go through that and put themselves through that for us, you know, mm-hmm. to be safe. So, um, yeah, I don't think this is a superior from, film technique or anything like that on as far as the war footage 
I'm honestly a little let down with it, knowing that it's Kubrick and it could have probably been so much better. And like Brian said, though, he probably just wasn't that so interested bigger. in that part of it. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's more yeah. interested in the psychological. Yeah, I mean, there's very little. The last what twenty minutes is a war yeah. sequence, and then the rest of the movie is the yeah. downtime of of soldiers, yeah. and that's. Um, I you know there's pro- I mean, there may be other movies that have did that before this but none that stick out to me yeah uh, you know this totally. this kind of created that for so long we wanted we just say uh you know look all soldiers are are heroes and there's uh that's you know they're just they're good old boys that want to yeah. serve their country and while I you know have incredible great respect for anyone who who puts on the uniform that's you know that's not always the case yeah and. This is the this is that. kind of the first movie it, that, again it, I may be wrong maybe there's others that came before Apocalypse Now is a different sort of soul exploration of the the soldier psychology but this is the first one that I can remember of being uh of of like really letting you in on what happens when yeah. they're not shooting guns and when they're 22 year old kids sitting around a jungle and with a gun uh, with a gun <laughs> and uh and a lot of them are are not there for great reasons and whatnot it's it's that's what he was interested that's why he made the movie that's what he was interested in in doing it's it's that the war sequences really take yeah. major backseat to oh he's totally into happens. the mental preparation mm-hmm. that a person mental right. transformation that somebody has to go through to become a killer yeah, yeah. to go from kid who wrote for his high school paper like yeah, this yeah, was yeah. to killing machine yeah somebody who has born to kill written yeah. on their head you know and that's what they right. truly feel like they they were modine is so good in this yeah. you can see why everybody thought this guy is the guy like because he's got the smugness he handles himself well in the action sequences and so you you can see why people thought and this is this is going to be the next big action movie star and then it just didn't quite Transition. I think one of the, the, the best scenes in the movie is when when they get their assignments post graduation, and and uh, and Ermy is just so pissed when that he's, he's going to be a journalist. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is really funny uh, and well done. Yeah. And uh, the the of course him wearing the peace button. Mm-hmm. They call back to that a lot, and he yeah. talks about how he wants it to be a contradiction of of what he's been taught. You know, yeah. Kind of a political comment mm-hmm. on the on everything that's been going on and the scene where they're at their base. And I guess it's the Vietnamese new year. And so they had called a ceasefire from all parties. And he says, uh, we should probably, uh, look out on that date because that'd be the perfect time for them to attack. <laughs> right. Like they'll never do that. We've yeah. been waiting for three years. They've never attacked on their new years. And sure enough, that ends up being, right. they get ambushed and that's his first kind of foray into yeah, combat. Taste, and yeah. he's, He's just offing these guys as they're come spilling into the base, and the and the camera, you know, comes in on him with that look like I'm actually in war now. Like yeah. he can't believe that he actually is using these. The shot this is so great when they're moving oh, the over the great. yeah the uh, the treetops and the helicopters. And this is the great scene where the soldiers actually puking in the are getting you know air sick in the thing, and the other soldier who was supposed to be. The drill sergeant is just offing citizens as yep. he's flying by and just cussing at him and everything. It's horrible to a horrible reality of mm-hmm. it. Probably these people were out farming or doing their job or picking yep. their crops or whatever. And uh, here comes this helicopter to just to off me. Yep. It's bad. All right. Um, so where would you rank this as far as Kubrick's stuff goes? 
Um, it's a very well-made movie. It's very low on my list of movies that I want to rewatch. <laughs> Brian's um, struggling right now with it on. Don't yeah. Just, no. Uh, I, for me, Spartacus, Pass the Glory, and uh, and Doctor Strange Love are are one, two, three, Shining, probably four, and then you know you could put this in with, I guess any of the any of the rest. It's a very well done movie that I do not like to watch. <laughs> I would say it's. I think here's how I how I put it. I was talking to our friend Jason about this uh, a couple of days ago, and I think. I think if Kubrick had not made this movie, it would be a significantly worse movie, and I would probably be more apt to rewatch it. Yeah, if that makes sense. Like yeah, his, his sensibilities are so uh, so strong and so Off-putting. not my own <laughs> sensibilities that it's just it's. I just I'm not. I don't know. It's it's not. I have. I would. You know, we talked about David Fincher a week or so ago with Zodiac, and that one. You know, David Fincher is not my my particular taste in in filmmaker, but I can watch any of his movies at pretty much any point. Mm-hmm. This is like the extreme version of that. Of like, yeah. man, I so get why he's great, and I appreciate the movies that he made and the um, the way he influenced the he's entire. He's such process. a stylistic, yeah, director. Yeah, like, I can he, look at eight frames, and right? Be like, yeah, uh-huh. that's, yep, that's Kubrick, exactly, and that's fantastic. Like, I I so appreciate that. I just am not, I'm not ever going to really dig what he, the way he told stories and his, his, um, particular penchant for, I don't know, human elements that, that don't necessarily jive with my own oh, he's philosophies, so, yeah. I he's guess. He's so into the psychology yeah. that he took, uh, basically took the source material of The Shining and said, <laughs> right. I'm just going to use the name The Shining and use the characters, but yeah. I'm going to make it yeah. my own just so I can right. make people feel weirded yeah. out, you know. And yeah. Stephen King himself is like, "Dude, what'd you do to my book? Right. Yeah. It's nothing like my book, you know." He's like, yeah. "I don't worry, I'm just about yeah. what this is going to make people feel like and think right. like." And that's another conversation we need to do a Shining episode because yeah. there's two hours of stuff to talk about that. Mm. But um, anyway, I would rank him. I mean, this what a run he went on. He went yeah. from. Dr. Strangelove, 2001, A Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, and Eyes Wide Shut, all in a row. Wow. Yeah. But over the course of 30 years. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he wasn't doing he them too He made one every three to five years. He made 68, 71, 75, 80, and then he didn't make another one from 80 till 87. And yeah. then again, for 12 years, he yeah. didn't make Eyes Wide Shut. In the meantime, he was researching other movies. Napoleon, AI. Man, imagine what Napoleon could have been if he. I actually think AI would have been. I think AI would have been better with. I like. I'm with you, Brian. I I prefer Spielberg, but like that's more of a Kubrick movie. Yes, hundred percent. We shall see what. I wish Fincher could have like finished it yeah. for him or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the worst Spielberg movies. Yeah. I think it's super. I think it's he has solid. A disconnect from he, the he has yeah. a disconnect, but I. For it's still other, good. For anything yeah, yeah. director, that's their number one. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> if that's Darren Aronofsky or somebody, you're like, man, AI is just so transcendent. Right. And yeah. Such a satire and yeah. so much the effects and everything. Right. But when the AI sells its body for drugs, it's a really weird scene. <laughs> Aronofsky's version. It's okay. <laughs> you understand where it's coming from. Man, I hadn't really done much on Dr. Strangelove until I went over to London to study abroad a couple of years ago so and we talked about it in depth and yeah, man, it's one, it's, it's a masterpiece one. Mm-hmm. Uh, level. 
gosh, 2001 though. That, the I'm last that's hour and a half your, of 2001 for, some, for is so good. That's so into sci-fi, Brian. Oh I'm surprised gosh. it's not more in your zeitgeist than that than one is one like. So I have never been somebody who uh, I don't really care what people think about me, and I'm not really interested in being cool or anything. But I would lie people if if 2001 was brought up. Like, oh yeah, I love 2001. It's a great movie for a long time, and finally I was just like, you know what? I hate this movie. <laughs> this is not good. And and it's not even that it's not good. That no. first hour feels like seven weeks in jail. Like yeah, it it's is a homework such movie. an yes, exactly. It it kills me. Once once we get to the point and once uh we're encountering the space you know, Hal and all this sort of stuff, that's all very good. And I absolutely can see I see why it has been the influence that it has been, but good gracious, that first hour is is like being tortured to me. I just can't I can't I can't do it. I'll never sit through it again. I, like, I can't it. do it. When the classical music is playing, Gosh, there's just scenes of space, the and freaking the, ships. the apes, and all this stuff. I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's so indulgent to me. Love it. Um, okay, where would you rank this, Richard? I have this behind Strange Love's my favorite by quite a large margin. Then The Shining, then uh, then Spartacus. What was the other one you said, Brian? Pass the glory. See, I haven't seen Pass the glory. That's Isn't that crazy? Good. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I know, I know of it. Version of it, I think. Yeah, I've never seen it. Um, I'd love to see it. And then, yeah, this is kind of right in the mid. But uh, but Strange Love is a distant number one in my in my uh, Kubrick rankings. Awesome. All right, I'm gonna grade this out at a A minus. Yeah, probably. Maybe if it just maybe if I hadn't seen Apocalypse Now before this, you know, that second half would just be more mm-hmm. effective. But I just think of the Vietnam War and yeah. those scenes, and it's just so much bigger than I sure. got seen. Maybe this is an isolated incident or whatever. I understand that, but you expect more from Kubrick on a such a massive scale mm-hmm. since he was so obsessed with detail and all that. Yep. What would you grade it out? That's about where I am. It's objectively a good movie and subjectively not a movie I want to watch. Yeah. So that's kind of my traditional, like, this is where it falls is an A minus. It's number 90 on IMDb, like, as far as their rankings go, which is interesting. Full Metal um, Jacket is? Wow. Mm-hmm, yeah. And that's fan voting or, or, or mm-hmm. viewer but, voting. But Boogie, Boogie Nights isn't top 100. <laughs> it's just not really <laughs> that's just. funny. Um, but it, do, it doesn't show up on too many of the AFI lists or anything like that, which I was kind of surprised by. I thought that that would... But this did garner Kubrick's uh, last... His 13th and final Oscar nomination. Wow. So just a little fun fact. Also a little fun fact, uh, Adam Baldwin's character was uh, originally supposed to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. And... <laughs> Wow, Arnie backed out to do. Uh, I think the Running Man maybe was that timeline. So. It's a, it would have been a little jarring to have Arnie. It would. I don't know that it would have worked. To it be would honest have made with it you, it would have. Yeah. Well, it would have made it. It would have become. I know. That it, would, it, would, it would have become an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie for forty-five minutes. It would have been interesting. I don't know that it would have been better. I think it's so. better that they went with unknowns too. for the most part. I agree. Richard, how about you? What's your grade? I'm going to go. I think A minus is fair. Um, look, in a. I don't know. If if this came out tomorrow and we were doing like a new episode on it, it's probably an A, A plus to me because like it's so spectacular in so many ways. But like through the context of history and like comparing to other Kubricks and it's so 
praised in a lot of ways. To me, mm-hmm. it's actually an A minus. It's not like a full A plus movie. I, I agree. That's fair. It is funny how they I bring... grade those different throwbacks are different grading spectrum. I than... agree. You have the, the you get to look through the prism of history yeah. when we're doing a throwback. So if don't yell at me if I gave something else right. a, a single A and they're like that's not better than and yeah. If I watch that movie in fifteen years, it's probably a B plus. But this one's sure. Yeah. Funny how they bring back okay, Chad, that character <laughs> sort of the uh, Toy Story. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Full Metal Jacket. Sorry, I killed and Richard. Yeah, you did. That, that was like, that was one that only he and I will ever get, and uh, made me laugh. That's it. Okay. Awesome, guys. We'll t- it's a good one. Hey, where can I find you guys on social media, though? Brian, where would I find you? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill 12 and you can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and the Mad About Movies podcast newsletter. Kent, where can we find you? You can find me on Kent Garrison on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all that stuff. Hit subscribe. Yes. Come back to us. We release uh, kind of old movies pretty much weekly now. New uh-huh. movies. We got it all covered. And um, until next time, until our next throwback, maybe, we'll see you at uh, December. Bye. 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 Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I've got you pegged. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. Tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again.